Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Well, last week I played hooky from church. I uh, took my nine-year-old Eliza to Big Ben. Anybody ever been to Big Ben? We had an incredible time. Lauren and I have, have been learning that at about nine years old, kids begin to discover what their formula is for success in life. They, they begin to discover what they have inside them and how they're going to live that out. And so I wanted, one, some dedicated time with Eliza. Two, I wanted to push her so that she could find her limit. That almost sounds mean. In fact, I was fully expecting to push her to the point where she'd probably experience tears. And I was really excited about it. <laughs> I invited my, my brother who lives in Abilene uh, to join me with his nine-year-old, uh, Kinley, and we were setting out on a journey. We wanted to hike um, to experience some challenges and maybe even some danger. Little did we know the ways that the danger would show up. The, the first night, we, after swimming in the Rio Grande and finding the hot springs, um, I taught Eliza how to take a rock and hit Mexico from the, the Rio Grande River. Um, and, uh, and we swam in the hot springs, and then we made our way back to our campsite. If you've ever been to Big Ben, there are lots of signs that say, watch your food, don't leave any food out, put them in the bear box. Because there are bears, there are coyotes, there are mountain lions. So here we are in this thin canvas tent with lions and tigers, no tigers, lions and bears outside. And I'm thinking, man, now I'm pushing her, but I'm realizing that we could use a little bit of protection, probably a little bit more than the wall of this tent. And so I'm just laying awake in the tent, thinking and having trouble dozing off. Everybody else is already snoring, which made it harder, obviously. And just about the moment that I start to nod off, I hear a sound. <sighs> And I wanted to act like a nine-year-old would and close my eyes and hope that that sound went away. <laughs> but instead, I knew that the, the adult thing to do would be to peek out of the tent and see what would be making such a horrendous sound in the middle of the night. So I peek up. We, had, we were actually sleeping with like the cover off of the tent, so it was like all just screen. And I look out. My eyes, you know, in the middle of the night, like your eyes like don't open all the way, right? I look out and I see about 10 yards away this humongous figure down on all fours. So I decided what any big brother would do in this situation. I'm going to wake up my little brother and hope he can protect me. <laughs> so I grab him by the leg. Nathan, Nathan, there's a bear outside the tent. He springs to, he's got glasses, so he, he didn't have those on, obviously, because he was sleeping, and so he can't see anything, and I, I can't see, 
And then all of a sudden, I see these lights and they're like shining. And I realized that my neighbors, you know, 100 yards away in a tent had heard the sound as well and were trying to figure out what was going on. And just about the time that the flashlight found the large four-legged figure in front of me, I hear another sound. That sound is moo. (laughs) And I realized that I was terrified of a cow. So eventually, after the fear of being trampled by four cows who had somehow, I think, made their way across the border um, and into our campground, um, I realized maybe they they could see in the dark and weren't going to step on us in the tent. And so I eventually went back to sleep, sort of, you know, adrenaline rushing, but really, really grateful that I was not about to be eaten by a bear. So the next day, we uh, load up... uh, enough water for us to last for, you know, a little over a day on our backs with tent and sleeping bags and all that gear, probably for Nathan and I, 40, 50 pounds each on our backs. The girls had probably about 20-pound packs on their backs. We wanted them to experience the difficulty of what it would be like to hike up a mountain with a pack on their back. And so we make the journey and probably, you know, every half mile or so, we, we stop and we drink some water and we take a break. And about three miles in, we find our campsite. So we set up our camp. And Nathan and I, after making a, a journey with 40 pounds on your pack when you're uh, not in the best shape of your life, um, you decide, hey, I think I'm going to take a nap now. And so we, we decide to take a nap. Well, the girls were not done. So they got their pillows and started hitting us with their pillows and saying, take us on a hike. And so we had a hike planned. We were going to go to the top uh, of Emory Peak, which was several, uh, probably 2,000 feet above where we were and a couple, two and a half, three mile journey from our campsite. And so we decided, hey, we're we're ready to go. If you're ready to go, we're going to make the journey. That way you won't hit us with pillows. And so we take off. Uh, Dad's this time wearing packs. The daughter's no packs for them. We figured the journey was going to be enough. And so before we make it out of the campsite, they decide to throw a mutiny. They're like, hey, this is going to be too hard. We want to turn back around. We said, no, we've already set out to go on the journey. So probably for the first mile, my niece Kinley decided that she was going to protest all the way up the mountain. (laughs) So she protested until she decided to stop. And she just realized, hey, I'll be okay. And she got like this fresh wind in her. And then Eliza decided that it was her turn. (laughs) So she begins to complain all the way up. In fact, several times the girl said, we are not going any further. They stomped their feet and they started walking back down the hill. Eventually we made it to the top. Something changed in them at the top of the mountain. And they were actually able to run down the mountain because they realized that they had been to the top. And something in them was realized that changed the way that they saw themselves. On their way down, they were running ahead of us because at this point they had more energy than the dads. And Eliza got about two feet away from a rattlesnake that hissed and rattled at her. Good, probably 
three, three and a half foot timber rattler and uh, shook her up pretty well. She survived without getting bit. Otherwise, I probably would have led with, hey, my daughter got bit by a rattlesnake. Um, And the truth is, is that while I wasn't cognitively thinking my daughter may step on a rattlesnake, I realized that there was danger on the journey. That there really were lions and bears and rattlesnakes and who knows what else. We saw a coyote. But I knew for her, for her to become the woman that God has created her to be, that she was going to have to leave the air conditioning, the comfort, the screen, the easy life, playing Barbies and all that kind of stuff, and face a little bit of difficulty, somewhat controlled by dad, in order to become the woman that she has been designed by God to be, entrusted by God to Lauren and I to help her to become. I realized that what I want for my daughter is that she would recognize that she has more in her than she realizes. And that she would come to understand that she's got more grit and there is more grace available to her. When I think about us as a people and maybe our stream, whatever that means, one of our highest values is this. I would say this is foundational for us, is that God is good. Amen? And I believe that when we understand the goodness of God, we recognize that he's better than we could imagine. And yet one of my great concerns for us is that we would misunderstand the goodness of God in such a way that we would think that God is good equals my life should be comfortable. That God is good, so I should never face hard things. But the reality is, is that the goodness of God is not protection. Look, there's a scorpion right here. Y'all see this? I didn't put that there. It's actually, yeah. That's in the Bible, actually, that you would, that you would tread on scorpions and not get stung. Wow. That was like a real life prop. Somebody told me, Joel, I, I was talking about using a prop one time for teaching and they said, Joel, you're not really a, a prop teacher, but we got a real live one right there. Perfect timing. So <laughs> anyways, hey, did y'all get to zoom in on the scorpion stomping? He got it. Y'all give it up for Esteban. All right. So my, my concern is what I have seen is people who begin to lay a hold of the idea that God is good, that he's actually not just good, but he's actually good to us. He is good to you and to me. In fact, he's not just good to you and to me. He's also in a good mood. He actually really likes us and he's full of joy. In fact, you'll not find any greater joy than in the presence of God. He's got so much joy inside of him that it makes religious folks really uncomfortable. And if you've ever been a religious folk, you know that that's true. 
but what his goodness to us, towards us, does not mean is that we will not face difficulty. It's not a promise of an insulated life. It's not a promise that everything will always go easy for you. In fact, he loves us way more than that. Do you go with me to James chapter one, start in verse two. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many of you think that almost sounds sarcastic, right? <laughs> like how many of you have, have, have looked at your bank account and it's on zero and you're like, oh man, super excited today. <laughs> or you've realized your kid is not doing well. Like maybe they're not in this season following Jesus and you're like, I'm excited about that. That's great. Could it be that James realizes something that we don't know? We'll get there in a minute. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Say perseverance. perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything not lacking anything. All right, let's go back to the beginning. Consider it pure joy. Say joy. joy. When you begin to research the word joy, what you'll find is this, that joy is an awareness of God's grace. Joy is an awareness of God's grace. Here's what that means. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you can know this, that regardless of your situation, of your circumstances, God is with you. And so your promise grace for whatever you face. There is nothing that you will face in life that the grace of God will not empower you to make it over or to be victorious in. And so you can say, man, I just overdrafted my bank account, but I know God is coming through. There's going to be grace for this moment. I trust in my God. Or you can say, you know what? My kid is not following Jesus in this moment, but, but I can consider it pure joy because I know that my God is good and that he's faithful and he's going to show up in this moment, in this circumstance, and it's going to be really, really good. It's going to be better than I could cause to happen on my own. Or you could say, you know what? I'm facing sickness today, but I understand this, that my God is present and he's my healer and I'm going to trust in him because there is grace for me. There is strength for me to step into all that he's called me to do. And I recognize that my hand is in his life. My life is in his hand. My hand is in his life. Sure. That too. <laughs> the reality is that there are lots of things that come our way that are not God's desire for us. You see, this brings us to a bit of a theological crossroads. And we sometimes when we say, well-meaningly, God is in control, 
we think that everything that happens is caused by him. You ever thought that? Like if God's in control, then why are bad things happening to good people? Let me say this to you. God rules and he reigns. He's in charge, but he is not micromanaging everything in your life. And here's why it's important for you to understand that. If he was micromanaging everything in your life, then you would have no free will. And the reason why God created you and I is that he could love us and that we could in return love him. But the thing about love is that it always gives a choice and it always is a choice. And so he, in his sovereignty, decided to give us choice. Here's what that means, that we have the choice to choose him or to reject him. And inside of that choice, we have the ability to do good and to do harm. And so what happens is Romans tells us that we're a slave to the one that we obey. When Adam and Eve decided that they were going to disobey God, they brought themselves into slavery to the enemy, to the devil. And the result of that is that it brought the rulership of the enemy onto planet earth. Jesus came and here's what he did. He took the keys back. He got the authority that had been, that he had delegated to us and we had delegated to the enemy. He got it back and he gave those keys to us. And so our responsibility is to participate in the redemption of the world. That's why we heal the sick, drive out demons, preach the good news of the kingdom that is at hand. It's not just coming distant in the future, but it's available here and now. And so our responsibility is to steward what has been entrusted to us. And the reality is, is that the world has yet to experience the full redemption that Jesus has paid for, which means that sometimes really bad things happen to good people. Sometimes bad things happen to bad people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. And it doesn't mean that it is what God has chosen would happen. But here's what we do know. Here's the promise that you and I can hold on to when it gets really tough. It's Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things, say all things, for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Here's what that means. There is nothing that this life, that the enemy, that your neighbor or your enemy can throw at you that God does not have the ability to pour his grace out on and make it work out for your good. And so just because God didn't control it and cause it does not mean that God cannot work with it and turn it out for your good. And some of you have been through literal hell. It has been difficult for you to face the stuff that you've gone through and the heart of the Father is that you would have not gone through it. However, what he has promised to you is that he'll be with you in the middle of hardship and that he'll give you the strength that you need so that that can work out for your good.
some of us would wrestle with the lie that, man, maybe God caused the bad that happened to me. I'd like to suggest to you that that really is a lie, that he's good to you. And here's what he would love to do. This is what he died to do. He died to make it right. He died to redeem that thing, that instance, that experience, that trauma, so that you could be made whole. What Jesus told the disciples just before the cross in John 16, 33, he said, in this life, you will have many troubles. It's promised by God that it's not going to be cushy. It's not going to be easy. And then he made this promise, this declaration, but take heart, I've overcome the world. What he's saying to us is that he is with us. And regardless of what has come your way, he's not leaving you. You're not going to run him off. You're not going to out sin his, his desire to pursue you. You're not gonna blow it so big that there's not enough grace for you. You're not that powerful. And what he wants to do is like any father would. He wants to enter into that mess and walk with you. It says, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing, say testing, the testing of your faith. When we think of testing, we automatically think of sitting for an exam, right? That's not what this is talking about. God is not giving you a pass or fail grade. God is not giving you an, an A, a B, a C, a D, an F. He's, he's, not, he's not trying to grade you. The word means is proving, the proving of your faith. Here's the great thing about the gospel. When we put our faith in Jesus, we get to operate with the faith of Jesus. So it's not about how much faith you have. It's actually about proving what's already inside you by the grace of God. So when you face difficulty, the, the heart of God is that you would discover that you've got more in you than you realized. God's allowing difficulty to prove to you what he's already done in you. It's like a, a refiner's fire. Second Peter 1 talks about this. That difficulty is like a refiner's fire that purifies us. Here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't add anything that's not there. It only gets rid of what was unnecessary and impure. And so what difficulty will serve you in, the way that difficulty will serve you, is that it will actually deal with and cause to surface the impurities of your life. And if, you'll, if you stay in the process with God, what happens is, is that like gold or silver, the heat gets turned up and the impurities rise to the top. And then the refiner, who's not me or you, it's God, he begins to scrape off the impurities from the top so what is left is pure. You see, what God's doing in difficulty, though he's not causing it, he is refining you. 
He is proving to you that he's already put something in you that's invaluable, that's unshakable, that's unmovable. And he's allowing you to experience it. My friend John told me a story. I think Bill Vanderbush shared it actually with us uh, at Heart and Soul uh, back in February. And he said that there was a biosphere made. It's like an artificial environment. And then in that artificial environment, they planted trees. And the trees that they planted never experienced wind because it's an artificial environment without any wind. They thought, this is a great idea. Let's see how all of this happens, what we can grow, what we can make happen. So after a while, somebody went up and they touched one of the trees. The tree fell apart. The tree fell apart because there was no wind. The resistance that the wind would push onto the tree would cause the tree to be strengthened. The reality is, is that there is no way to get stronger without resistance. And some of us are throwing fits because we're facing resistance, but what God really wants to say is I'm strengthening you because I've got something ahead of you that I need you to step into and you're going to have to be stronger than you are right now. And a lot of times we want to bail on the process instead of experiencing the strengthening of the trial. It says, because testing of your faith produces perseverance. I love how the passion translation puts it. It says that it reveals the power within you to endure all things. The testing of your faith reveals the power within you to endure all things. May I say to you that there is a power within you. It's not your own. It's not a think happy thoughts power. It's not a get in the right mood power. It's the very power of God in your life. It's the very power of God in your life to endure all things. There is nothing that life or the enemy can throw at you that the power of God in you can't face. And goes on to say, let perseverance finish its work. I was talking with my friend uh, Chuck about this. He'll actually preach in a few weeks here. And he said, uh, he pointed out in the message, it says, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Whew. So you, you get that? Let perseverance Finish its work. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Like the, my, my daughter running backwards down the mountain. You know that when we came back, Lauren said there was an incredible shift in her life. She is a different person after that trip than she was before. There was something in her that was strengthened, that was fortified because of the difficulty. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. If you were to, to happen upon a, a uh, butterfly still in its chrysalis, what you would find is that there is a struggle going on. It is fighting for its life, and it looks quite miserable. It's battling to break free of that chrysalis. But the worst thing that you could do is to open it up for that butterfly. 
because the strength that is built in the fight to get free is the strength that it needs to fly. The strength that it builds in the fight to get free is the strength that it needs to fly. Let me humbly talk to you parents. I'm not well experienced. I've been doing this for nine years, right? But there is a temptation to want to bail our kids out of every bit of difficulty because we hate to see them struggle. Now, I'm not saying don't be present with them. I'm not saying that there isn't difficulty that you need to help them out of. But what I am saying is don't rescue them from every difficulty because you'll be doing them a great disservice. You see, what they need and your responsibility is to equip them with everything that they need to step into the real world and function in the very design of God on their lives. And the worst thing that you could do is come to their rescue every, at every sign of struggle. But let them struggle. In fact, probably the best place for them to learn to struggle, to learn to wrestle, to learn to think for themselves is under the protection of your house. And if they can learn to struggle well there, then you'll be ready to launch them into the world to struggle well and to stand firm when it's time. Don't bow them out prematurely. They need the strength that God is building through hardship. You see that butterfly was not a victim. Eliza was not a victim of me taking her hiking. She faced incredible difficulty that several times brought her to tears. Nathan and I said to each other, man, this is incredibly valuable. Wouldn't it be nice to outsource this to somebody else? Because <laughs> it was hard to watch your kids struggle. Let me say this. There are some struggles that some of you are in. And, and God's not excited about the struggle, but he is excited about what it's producing in you. Don't try to get out of it prematurely. One of the worst things that you can do is to act like a victim because of anything or because of everything that's thrown at you. What I don't mean is that we're not victimized. Sometimes we are. But don't allow that to change your identity into what you're not. Romans 8 says that you're more than a conqueror. Victim doesn't fit into that. You see, when you begin to think like a victim, you start to lose the strength that the struggle's producing in you. It goes on to say, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Say mature. And complete. Say complete. Not lacking anything. The word mature there is the, is the Greek word telos. Say telos. We're, that word telos is actually where we get our word telescope from. It's the unfolding of what's already there. 
You see, when you gave your life to Jesus, there was a seed that was put in you that what hardship and difficulty does is it unfolds the grace of God that was already there for you to make it through and to be mature and to look like Jesus in every season and situation. But what difficulty does is it causes the complete and final unfolding of what's already been there. It goes on to say, mature and complete. The word complete means divinely allotted wholeness. Anybody want divinely allotted wholeness? There's a a level, a reality of wholeness, of being whole that you'll never get by staying comfortable. There's a level of maturity that, that comfort will never gain you. I've heard it said before, Jesus called the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Some of us want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're so stuck in our comfort zone that there's no room for the comforter. Allow difficulty to have its full work. What I don't mean is don't lay down, but instead fight. Ask God, what does it look like to deal with this thing in this way? Recognize that God is not sending difficulty to you and he's not trying to punish you. Instead, he's teaching you how to participate with his grace so that you can live in his goodness. So I was praying for us last night. What I felt like God said to me is that there is fresh grace for those who find themselves in difficulty in this season. Does that sound good to y'all? I feel like God has fresh grace for you. And that the awareness of that grace will produce joy in you. If you're facing difficulty, if you say, hey, I I know a bit about the trials of all kinds. I'm facing some difficulty. Let me say, some of it may may be because of your own doing or the decisions of others. Some of it is just the circumstances of life. It does not matter, but I believe that there is fresh grace for you in the difficulty that you're facing. If that's you, would you just stand? It's probably most of us, so don't feel uncomfortable standing. And I just want to pray for you. Thank you, God, for fresh grace. Just allow God to minister to your heart. Say, God, what do you, what do you have for me? What are you saying to me right now? Hey, tell me your name right here in front of me. Damien. Damien, I feel like what God is doing in you right now is he's putting a confidence for you to step into the call of leadership that's on your life. And you've been facing like some people pleasing and some like, just I'm not, I'm not sure. And what God is doing is he's saying to you, you have what it takes. You have what it takes. He's giving you the strength you need for what's ahead. You can either please people or you can love them. He's given you a big heart to love with. And he's pleased with your heart and he's just refining you. He's got you. 
Remind me your name. I, I just, I know it, but I just forgot. Keith, that's right. What I heard the Lord saying to you, Keith, is that he's repositioning you. And there's incredible favor for this next season. And there's gonna be a lot of joy and increased influence. And he trusts you. You've done what was needed. You've put him first. Matthew 6, 33, that's been your, what you've been living. Yeah. So God, I just thank you for Keith. I thank you for the call in his life, the authority that he walks in. And I thank you for the fresh fire that you're imparting on him now. He's reimagining old dreams inside of you. Some things that you tried to do on your own effort, he, he's reawakening them with his grace on it now. Thank you, Jesus. Robert, we just met a few minutes ago. God's hand is on your life. And what he's doing is he's making some difficult paths that have been rocky and a bit windy. He's making them smooth and straight. And he's pouring out favor on you. And he's giving you strength, incredible strength. And he's putting that strength in your tender heart because he trusts you. You've got a tender heart. There's been some seasons where that tender heart has been taken advantage of and it's hurt really bad. But he sees you and he's with you. And he says, Robert, I'm your comforter. God, I thank you for Robert. I thank you for your hand on his life. God, I thank you that you are raising up a strong people. And just say this to you, it's going to take, it's God's heart to see his kingdom advanced in our world. And it's gonna take people who are strong, who have been through the difficulty of life and come out victorious because they've stayed faithful to the call of God on their lives and to his presence with them. I believe that God is strengthening us in this season. And so in the name of Jesus, I just release grace on you. There is specific custom made grace for you and everything that you would face, everything that you would go through. And he's not left you on your own. You're not an orphan. You don't have to fight for yourself. He sees you and he's making a way for you. I met you just earlier. Tell me your name. Charlie? Charlie, I just feel like God is just, he has you in a season of restoration and he's allowing you to be restored to your innocence. And he's, he wants you to know that he sees you as pure and spotless. 
and He really likes you. He's not disappointed in you. He really likes you and He's for you. And you're not on your own. Thank you, Jesus, for Charlie. Will, he's healing your heart, man. He's putting you like, he's just got you in his hand. And he's putting you in the right place. And I feel like I know just a little bit about this season, but I feel like this is a critical season of learning to rest in his love for you. He's crazy about you. And his love for you is not dependent on what you do, though you're really strong and capable, way gifted, super bright. But it's you, he loves you. God, we just say that we love you and we need you. We rely on you. I want to invite our ministry team down. They'd love to pray for you. There's a good likelihood that as you come down, God's going to give them a word of encouragement, a prophetic word for you. I believe that God, it's not, it's not about me hearing for you, I believe that God is speaking to your hearts right now. That he has incredible things in store for you. They'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted your life to Jesus or maybe you need to say, hey, I'm giving my whole heart to Jesus. I need to return back to him. This would be a great time to do that. They would love to pray with you. They'd also love to pray with you if you're fighting maybe some sickness. I know we've got a few folks here who are in a fight for their lives. I would encourage you, Come for prayer every Sunday, every chance you get. We've seen God move in mighty ways, and he'll do it again, I promise you that. 